0: I'm Sean D Wilson and for Damien Venuto it's November 16th and this is The Front Page a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald (music) Westminster is echoing with accusations of betrayal the source of this indignation is former UK Home Secretary Suella Braverman Braverman has been sacked by British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak after making a series of incendiary comments about the homeless asylum seekers and the Israel-Hamas war. After Braverman's ousting, Sunak announced a cabinet reshuffle. The big surprise? Former PM David Cameron has returned to political office as Foreign Secretary. How has Cameron returned seven years after he resigned over his Brexit referendum? Can Sunak reunite the Conservative Party? And will Braverman behave on the backbenches Today on the front page, UK correspondent Gavin Gray helps us come to grips with the turmoil that this government has inflicted upon itself. Gavin, the person that set off this reshuffle, which resulted in David Cameron returning to government, is Suella Braverman. Who is she and how did she further destabilise a political system that has already had a shaky few years?
1: Yeah, it certainly has shaken the establishment. So she became the Home Secretary. So in other words, Domestic Affairs. And over the last month or so, she has been poking her head above the parapet and beginning to say things which weren't quite government policy. And one was beginning to doubt whether she'd actually cleared these uh, comments with her bosses in Downing Street and the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Well, we now know actually that particularly the last couple of comments, she hadn't. So about a week or so ago, first of all, She talked about how being homeless and living under a tent on the streets was almost a lifestyle choice. Now, that was a very poor turn of phrase. Homeless charities got upset. What I think she meant was that sometimes people who are offered assistance to get off the streets are refusing that assistance. And that is probably where she was trying to um, highlight why some people are determined to stay on the streets. Now, some don't want to go into uh, homeless shelters because they uh, can't take alcohol with them and they can't take dogs in with them if they've got a, a pet or anything like that. But there are lots of other reasons as well and her reasoning seemed rather black and white. And then the more explosive reason that she had to leave eventually was she also effectively accused the police in London of being biased, biased towards the marches in support of Palestine. There have been three weeks of marches now The most recent one saw 300,000 people take to the streets on Saturday. And she said that the police tend to be rather soft on them, whereas uh, right wing marches, or indeed there were some far right activists at the weekend on Armistice Day, um, they were very treated heavy handedly by the police. Now, for the Home Secretary, who does govern the police, but for the Home Secretary to start accusing the police of taking sides, to criticise them openly, was really rather shocking. The prime minister was asked, are you going to sack her? He sort of said, no, I've got full confidence in her. But then we learned that actually those comments and her article in the Times newspaper had not been cleared by Downing Street in the form in which she sent them. She had refused to make the amendments requested by Rishi Sunak's team and published anyway. And after that, the calls for her resignation grew louder and louder until the uh, reshuffle on uh, Monday, in uh, which case she was sacked.
0: And she'd already been sacked from that position just last year. So what happened there?
1: Yeah, that was over a different set of circumstances, and that was under Liz Truss. And again, people said she shouldn't have been brought back in the first place over that particular issue. So she does have a slightly checkered history. She was alleged to have broken the ministerial code there about what ministers can and can't do, what they can and can't say. Then she got back into office. Lots of people questioned Rishi Sunak bringing her back. Now, of course, she's been disposed of, and I have to say she's written the most stinging rebuke of a resignation letter to Rishi Sunak. She said that Rishi Sunak had, quote, repeatedly failed on key policies and broken pledges over immigration. She accused him of having, quote, no real intention of keeping his promises, and so it goes on and on. She said that he'd manifestly and repeatedly failed to deliver on policy priorities, and then how's this? Either your distinctive style of government means you are incapable of doing so, or, as I must surely conclude now, you never had any intention of keeping your promises. We rarely see so much blood on the floor of a ministerial resignation, but there's plenty of it on this particular one.
0: Yes, none of the diplomacy you would expect.
1: Suela Braverman
0: says when Rishi Sunak was desperate to get into number 10 without a leadership contest after Liz Truss's government collapsed, he agreed a contract with her. Her price for backing him, which she says was pivotal in moving him into number 10. So now this reshuffle that Braverman's sacking led to has resulted in a former PM, David Cameron, being made a cabinet minister. Now how on earth has he, after years in the political wilderness, returned to government as Rishi Sunak's foreign secretary? He's not even part of the government up till now.
1: No, absolutely. We now learnt it was over a uh, quiet drink, in the Prime Minister's apartment, how it was all kept secret has been quite remarkable. I've known political analysts for years and they sort of know everything that's going on. They were all completely dumbfounded by this. Indeed, some thought it was just a vicious rumour and it couldn't possibly be true. David Cameron hasn't spoken much publicly since he was Prime Minister. Indeed, Rishi Sunak kind of rebuked Him and his predecessors saying the governments of the last 30 years, including David Cameron's, had not really done very much. And Rishi Sunak was looking to change the mood music. And now here he is back in one of the government's most senior positions, that of foreign secretary. In order to do that, because he is no longer a member of parliament and can't sit in the commons in order to do this, he has been made a lord. So uh, Lord Cameron, as he's going to become known, as he was nominated, as it were, on Monday, suddenly is now allowed to be a member of the cabinet. Incidentally, this isn't the first time that this has happened. One thinks of Peter Mandelson, Lord Mandelson, one of Tony Blair's good mates, who managed to get uh, ministerial positions, even though he wasn't an MP, and there have been others before him. But this, for a prime minister, a former prime minister to come back, and become a member of the cabinet is really, really unusual.
0: Yes, to create that peership for from New Zealand doesn't even have an upper house. Can you explain to us what is the House of Lords and how does it work in relation to the House of Commons?
1: So all laws that are, as it were, agreed by Parliament and the MPs then have to go to the upper house, the House of Lords, for scrutiny. And often they might come back with amendments, they might come back with suggestions. It is supposed to be an upper house of the intelligent, of the street wise. All too often, however, it's been painted as the upper house of the uh, well-born, as it were, those who are landed gentry. Now that has changed. No longer are the hereditary peers, in other words, a son taking over from his father. Uh, no longer are those given such prominence. But many do believe that the House of Lords perhaps isn't what it should be, has got way too big, basically. And when laws come up, it debates them and might suggest amendments. Now, you'll remember the backlog and chaos over getting a Brexit bill through. Well, that was partially as well because of the disagreement in the House of Lords. So what uh, can happen is the MPs can vote again and say, no, we're not changing it, actually. So tough. And it can occasionally be a law that ping-pongs back between the MPs and the House of Lords a couple of times. But in the end, if the MPs have enough of a majority, they can pass it almost irrespective of what the law says.
0: For the latest news from around the globe, head to nzherald.co.nz world. And be sure to follow the front page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. So Cameron now has a position there for life. It's, yeah, as you say, not an institution without controversy. Boris Johnson was able to appoint one of his aides who was just in her late 20s after leaving his PM.
1: Yeah, again, very controversial because nobody can quite understand how her experience, or should that be lack of experience, can qualify her to contribute in the House of Lords. And there are other people as well who have been nominated in former prime minister's honours. So when a prime minister leaves office, he can nominate people to receive awards from the Queen, but also nominates others to go into the House of Lords. Many people think it's a ridiculous and antiquated system. But certainly it has in the past, I think, plenty of people would think has been abused by putting in your old chums and, you know, hoping that they're going to vote your way as well. But uh, in this particular instance, I think the House of Lords now with a new member and a member who's going to spend a lot of his time, dare I say it, abroad. We're told David Cameron, as foreign secretary, has already spoken to Anthony Blinken, the American uh, equivalent, and also been talking at length with other politicians about uh, the ongoing Gaza-Israel conflict and the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So there's plenty on his plate. What I think David Cameron has to offer, at least what I think Rishi Sunak sees that he has to offer, is basically he knows lots of people on the world stage already. He was pretty well respected when he was prime minister. And perhaps crucially, he's also somebody that was seen as being a very reluctant Brexiteer. In other words, he didn't really support Brexit. And of course, when the vote went against his advice and people did vote for Brexit, He resigned. So he will be friendly, one suspects, towards Europe. And that presents a whole load of new problems for Rishi Sunak, because now all of the top posts in his cabinet are really sympathetic to the EU. And there are going to be lots of people in the Conservative Party who don't like that. They want to see a much harsher Brexit enacted and for us to completely disentangle our trade agreements with them. Now, that is unlikely to happen if the people at the very top of government are more inclined to strengthen those links instead of weaken them.
0: Car coming up number 10, Downing Street, I should say. I'm not quite sure who this uh, might be. That's the security detail just opening the door for... David Cameron! David Cameron! Cameron. <laughs> Wait. I was not expecting okay. that! OK. Is Sunak suffering from a serious lack of talent in his caucus if he felt the need to appoint from someone outside of parliament?
1: I think it's a very, very interesting appointment. I mean, yes, he needs people he can trust. And plainly, Suella Braverman wasn't on that list. He needs as well to try to get on board as many within his own party as possible. And as we know, in politics, political parties do have different factions and different groups who like or dislike the leader at that time. Rishi Sunak has until January of 2025 to call a general election. That's when he has to call it by. And at the moment, such are the opinion polls, I can see him leaving it till virtually the last possible day, in the hope his fortunes turn around. Many consider this cabinet reshuffle to be the last throw of the dice
0: act of desperation. Cameron may not have been in favour of Brexit, but he ran the referendum and before that had an austerity budget in the wake of the global financial crisis. Now, to many, he kicked off a lot of the issues the UK is dealing
1: with today. And that's absolutely correct. He comes with a lot of baggage, as I suspect any former leader would. But those two things, first of all, holding a Brexit referendum when plenty of people were advising him against it, or at the very least to change the terms of reference, that instead of 51% being enough or just over 50% to make it more like 60 or 65% had to vote one way in order to change the status quo. He didn't do that. He was confident he was going to win and completely misjudged it. So he has that baggage behind him. He has another scandal in which he was caught lobbying for a friend of his, various text messages and phone calls to government ministers, which he agreed later on he should not have done. Now, some are saying that should prevent him from coming into the House of Lords and coming back into the government. And among all that other baggage, as you said, is during his uh, premiership, he also started to introduce some pretty tight austerity measures in order to balance our books. We are so heavily uh, indebted in this country. And uh, I think many as well, both outside the Conservative Party, but also some in, will think, well, actually, you created quite a lot of the mess that we're in, David Cameron. Whether you're going to be able to help sort it out is another matter.
0: Rishi Sunak has been under fire in his own right. He was called Dr. Death. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, w- we've seen something here which I think is really new, and that is, During the COVID inquiry, which is an inquiry here, not meant to hold blame, but to work out how to do better next time, as the scientists are all saying there will be a next time. During that COVID inquiry, it was announced that the very people who were working with the government at that time were using nicknames for each other during WhatsApp messages. Now, at the time of the pandemic, Rishi Sunak was the chancellor, the money man. And came up with a scheme called Eat Out to Help Out, in which, in order to try and help restaurants stay alive and operating, he would encourage people to go and eat in restaurants by saying any meal will cost £10 and the government will top up the shortfall directly to the restaurant. And indeed, many restaurants said it did help them survive. But what it also did, according to those experts in COVID, was it forced us to mingle at the very time when we shouldn't have been mingling. Now, don't get me wrong. At restaurants, there was still massive space between tables. A lot of restaurants open outdoors and uh, in tents and marquees outside. But I think those who were working in the health professions with people dying in hospital, with the NHS very overstretched trying to cope with the pandemic, Those people that suddenly saw some initiative to try and get people together to go out to eat and not remain at home was rather at odds with their target. And so that's why Rishi Sunak became known as Dr. Death in some of these WhatsApp messages. But as I said, what's new here is that these WhatsApp messages, which were supposed to be private, have all now been demanded by the inquiry and handed over to the inquiry on pain of potential criminal charges. Going across the waters, the Northern
0: Ireland Assembly is still in deadlock, with the DUP refusing to form a government with Republican rivals Sinn
1: Féin. The traps that Brexit laid for peace and politics in Northern Ireland were predicted and are now playing out. The DUP pulled out of the power-sharing executive, collapsing it. And since elections in May, the DUP has blocked efforts to get things moving again. Generations of political violence all but finished with the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. It established power-sharing across the sectarian divide and prohibited any hard border with Ireland to the south. All of this is now in danger.
0: With a Northern Irish election also looming early next year, how united is the United Kingdom?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And we have, of course, the separatists in Scotland, the nationalists in Scotland also looking to go their own way. Though I have to say their particular arguments looking a little weaker than it did not that long ago, owing political scandals within the Scottish National Party. But you're right, in Northern Ireland, still no governorship there. People getting pretty fed up of the lack of leadership, the lack of decision making that's going on. And this government in Westminster, in London, still encouraging them to get together and talk. But, you know, here we're seeing two sides so totally opposed in their outlook on so many things, unable to form a governing coalition, as it were, a power sharing authority. And I'm afraid as the weeks turn into months, turn into potential years, yes, that's going to be a very real problem for the people of Northern Ireland who are desperate for the politicians to get their heads together and work out some solutions. So I'm afraid you're right. Yes, the United Kingdom looking not very united at the moment, Sean.
0: Gavin, with all the moves Rishi Sunak has made recently help him stabilise, like he's hoping it will, or will it just give more fodder to the opposition that this is a chaotic government?
1: Yeah, the Labour opposition party ministers are saying... It's like a psycho melodrama, one of them has described it. You know, the endless machinations and Machiavellian movements of senior politicians within this government has been astonishing. And they said, after all this time in power and the latest prime minister saying that the previous prime ministers have got it all wrong, here we are just in another episode of this amazing series going on. And they say people have had enough. And certainly the most recent opinion polls, indeed last few months opinion polls, would suggest that's the case. Let's not forget that the last time the British voted for a government and a prime minister was when Boris Johnson was elected. Since then, the ill-fated rise and voting in of the prime minister, Liz Truss, that wasn't voted on by the British public. That was voted on by party members. Then that didn't last. Chaos ensued. And then again, Rishi Sunak stepped out, who, of course, wasn't voted in really by the public again and was hardly really voted in by the membership of the party he was just seen as a a sort of safer pair of hands somebody who was going to steady the ship and I think probably that is the best thing you could say about him he has actually tried to steady the ship whether he's done enough to win over people who have seen their mortgages go up the cost of living crisis get worse inflation go up over 10 percent even though now it's back down to six and a half those sorts of things. Whether those movements are enough to give him any impetus in the polls, well, that's yet to be seen.
0: Thanks for joining us, Gavin. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page was presented by me, Sean D. Wilson. It was produced by myself, Paddy Fox, and Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.